Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Goodness, we uh, we actually studied this passage uh, a little bit in our Wednesday evening Bible study, and one of the observations was that's a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, that's going to be a fun a fun one to prepare. Uh, but here we are, continuing in Luke's gospel. Uh, this week I read an article about <clears throat> the 23rd Company of the United States Naval Academy, the class of 1969. So they just celebrated in October their 50-year class reunion. Now this, this 23rd company is famous now. Uh, 27 members that all of them started and all of them graduated from the academy. But before their 27 members were known for their courage and their bravery in service and their success in life, a majority of them were just a few demerits away from being kicked out of the academy. There were 27 members. There was a what would eventually be a brigadier general who was a pilot uh, on Marine One for the tenure of two United States presidents. There was one Christian missionary to Russia. There was one, there was four who have died since, so one including a man named Kevin Connors who died uh, helping after a military career, was working in the North Tower uh, the day that the World Trade Centers uh, were taken down on September 11, 2001, and he died helping other people get out of the tower. But before all of that, their company was infamous. A majority of its members joined the ranks of a select group called Black N. And this was a group that basically you had to have a certain number of high demerits to reach to be a part of. They didn't want to be in this group, but they were. See, the year that they were due to graduate, this prestigious company, they had a party. Now, this was thrown by one of the staff members, and the guy was turning 21. It was all in good fun. And they had a rule in the Naval Academy that your, your partying of this nature had to be seven miles away from the Naval Academy. And the house that they ended up at was 6.8 miles away. <laughs> so, so they were in trouble. I mean, big trouble. One guy... Uh, how shall we say, he, he, he saw a lack of need for his clothing and he climbed a tree in such a state. Uh, so the rest of them were trying to get him down. It was just a big mess. And of course they were in big trouble. I mean, they had all these things to do. They were, they were on lockdown. They were doing this ridiculous amount of, of repentance through the process. This was a wake up call for this company of guys who themselves just said we were just a bunch of the sons of farmers and pastors and just ordinary people. And here we were. So Kevin Connors, who was a 9-11 hero, he was actually known among the company as the guy who would ride his own horse through the bar that he owned. Uh, so it was a wild bunch. But this event was a wake-up call for them, and they all graduated from the academy. They all made it. They just barely, by the skin of their teeth, a couple of them, uh, but they all made it. And it occurs to me that what the United States Naval Academy did for its 23rd company, the class of 1969, is what the church should do for the world. This text that Jerry read for us <clears throat> finds Jesus still in Jerusalem, still near the temple, and he is criticizing the leadership of Jerusalem, the leadership of the temple, God's people who should be taking care of the vulnerable, 
who should be living as witnesses for God. And as they are not doing such, Jesus criticizes them fiercely. And people begin to comment how beautiful the temple was and look at these stones and these archways and how everything's perfect in its place. And Jesus says, yeah, that's true. But everything that you see will be no more pretty soon. It's all going to come down. All of this beautiful stuff, this reconstruction of the temple, everything that we've known, that we've had pride in, just think of your favorite national landmark. He's like, it's about to come down. Jesus is foretelling the judgment of the temple, the judgment of Jerusalem, which would actually play out in A.D. 70. We have the historical data to know that Jesus said this is going to happen. There's going to be no stone unturned. It's all coming down. And actually, in 70 A.D., it did. It all came crashing down. And Jesus tells them about it. This is going to happen. Jesus is saying things are going to get worse before they get better. And here's a few notes, disciples, and anybody who's listening. It's a little vague. We know the disciples are there, but we don't know who else might be listening. And here's a few notes for when things get really bad. Don't chase the false prophets. All right? Jesus says, just don't don't worry about it. I promise there's going to be a bunch of them. They're going to all want to tell you when it's all going to shake out, how it's all going to happen, you know, that you need to go over here and invest in this or run over here and do all this. He said, don't act in fear. Don't be afraid. Trust me, you'll know when the time comes. Don't be afraid. Be patient. And also, Jesus says, before all this happens, you all will be persecuted. You're going to suffer great persecution. And we see this play out. Just as we saw, we see Jerusalem destroyed and the temple destroyed in 70 AD. We see Jesus, what Jesus says play out in the book of Acts and other places, right? We see that the disciples are persecuted fiercely, that some of them lose their lives, that their lives are on the line for the sake of the gospel. So we see the persecution play out in the book of Acts. We see Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. <clears throat> And we also find that Jesus makes recommendations, that he makes commandments that are pertinent in every age. Between that era where Jerusalem was judged and the temple came down, and between the final judgment when the world will be judged and we will all be judged. We live between those two judgments. And Jesus' words for the disciples then, and anyone who would listen, are very pertinent for us today in every age since, until we get to that point that we anticipate, well, Christ will return and restore righteousness to judge the living and the dead. And so we wait for that time. That's what the season of Advent is we're preparing for is all about. Judgment. Judgment is all about God being faithful to his word. And it's an invitation every time we think of it to consider whether we will be faithful. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's good every now and then to sit with the prospect of judgment. It's good to consider the reality of judgment. It's good to wrestle with this promise. It does a couple of things for us. It begins to kind of wake us from little slumbers that we've uh, indulged in. It reminds me. A little bit of the character of God. 
That when I see things that aren't right in my own life, when I see things that are out of whack in the world, that God's not slow. That God's not taking a nap. That He's not on vacation in Hawaii just kind of ignoring what's going on in the world. Gives me a renewed vision of God's character. Reminds us to pause and take inventory of our own lives. To release the burdens that we carry from time to time. The ones that we've heaped on our own shoulders. The ones that other people have placed on our backs. And the ones that we see that are too great for other people to carry. So we grab them too. And we try to play the role of God. We try to rescue, do wonderful things that are just too much for us. Reminds us to pause and leave those burdens at the altar. It reminds us also, judgment does, of our mission. That we have not been redeemed and baptized and awakened for our own sake. But there are others in the world that God loves that need to know the saving news of Jesus Christ. And in some ways, we are the unique ambassadors for that task. There are people that you know, that I know, for whom we can be a unique window into the character and the nature of God. Judgment reminds us of this. This is a wake-up call for me, a wake-up call to be patient, to not overreact, to not be anxious, but to be steady. Uh, A little bit later in the chapter it talks about you know don't be weighed down with drunkenness and dissipation you know just just don't be weighed down it's like a call to a sort of waking up fast and i was just thinking you know this is why the early methodists fasted they were they were freeing themselves from dissipation from the stuff that just weighs us down the stuff that just we just carry with us and it's good every once in a while to just wipe the slate clean and sort of say okay what's going on here what are what are my core desires what do i really want What do I really need? What am I responding to in the presence of God? And I'm always surprised at how deep those desires are. And sometimes it just takes me a while. That's the process of fasting or doing something a little different, a practice of prayer that reminds me that those things are in there. And they have to be awakened. I have to be reminded of all that Christ has called us to, the joy of the life that he has called us to live. So while we wait, while Jesus has commanded us to wait and to not overreact and not be anxious, to be persistent, what are the things that we do while we wait? And in this case, Jesus has given, gave the disciples and those listening, it gives us three basic things that we should do. Very simple, but they're things that kind of take our whole life to really get the hang of. And so we're going to rehearse those together uh, today as we look towards this final day, as we take inventory, as we become aware of where we stand in the presence of one another and in the presence of God. It's fascinating that Jesus says when all this shakes out and it gets really bad and you're going to be persecuted before anything happens, so don't worry about that. You'll know because it's going to get hard for you. While that's going on, by the way, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Don't you just love that? It's like, it's going to get really hard, but don't worry. It's going to be a golden opportunity. <laughs> like That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted my golden opportunity to be a red carpet golden opportunity. I wanted to be a golden opportunity that I, I could make plans for neatly in my daytime or and get people together and take off work. And I wanted all that to be perfect. But Jesus said, oh, it's going to be in the midst of this really hard persecution. 
That's going to be your opportunity to bear witness. What in the world are we going to say? What are we going to do? How are we going to know? And Jesus says, don't worry. Stay calm about that too. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Verse 14, settle it therefore in your minds to not meditate ahead of time how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This promise that when we are needed to be mouthpieces for the living God, there's not a script. It's an overflow of all that God has worked within us. Sometimes a lifetime of virtue building and renewing of our minds, deepening of our loves and our hearts. A lifetime of that for the moment that we're called upon to witness, to bear witness in the midst of awfully difficult circumstances. And that's the only way we get ready. Jesus says, don't worry about the script. I will give you the words. I will give you wisdom. None of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This too happens in the book of Acts when the disciples are persecuted and it actually happens. The word of God in Acts chapter 6 continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. They started taking him to task, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Isn't that beautiful? They're just trying to take him out behind the workshop and they can't withstand his wisdom because he's testifying in the face of this great persecution. And all that God has formed within him up to this point is being released in these beautiful sermons and testimonies to the living God that God has come to rescue his people. And we should wake up. The miracle of the Holy Spirit giving us words to say when the news of the gospel is on the line. And sometimes it's God giving us, I think, words that we say without words. You know, when we're with those people who are suffering immensely or we're with people who need direction and we just don't know what to say. And the quality of our presence becomes the word that God speaks to those people. Don't worry. Don't script. Be formed. As Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I can see how preachers could use this as an example to not prepare sermons. You know, be like, well, Jesus said not to prepare ahead of time. He'd give me the words and the wisdom, so here I am. You know, and it's like <laughs> one of my professors used to say, the Holy Spirit would appreciate you giving him a little more something to work with. You know, <laughs> that would be good. But this is work that happens ahead of time, you know, that God awakens, that he enlivens by the power of his spirit. And so then as you're out there bearing witness, this is your opportunity. Jesus makes a promise. He says, not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus, we know that God has you know, numbered the hairs on our head. He knows us intimately from before we're born. Not a hair on your head will perish. We're going, okay, that sounds great. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by everyone for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. Does anyone else notice a contradictory, seemingly contradictory statement? Uh, you will be persecuted fiercely. Some of you will die, but don't worry, not a hair on your head will perish. 
what? What? What are we supposed to do with him? What is this phrase? What is what kind of encouragement is God bringing us through a phrase like this? Not a hair on your head will perish. I mean, you might die, but not a hair that is out of place on your head will go unnoticed. God has not forgotten about you. In the midst of a difficult circumstance where you're being persecuted or you don't know what to do or it's just getting really hard to stick up and stand up for what you know is right, even if it results in death, somehow God has not forgotten us. God has ensured that everything will be just in place as it is needed. Now that is a mystery to me. I don't know exactly how that works out, but I trust that as a promise that somehow, even if we are losing our life in this case and in this sense, somehow God is able in his providence to take care of us. This must have something to do with the life that is to come. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the merciful, right? This seems like the carrying out of all that Jesus has told us about when we are truly blessed. And then the final thing that Jesus says, when it gets really hard and you're being persecuted for your faith, and you're being persecuted for justice, you will save your lives, you will save your souls through endurance. So there it is again, patience, not being over anxious, being patient, endurance, by perseverance, you will save your lives or you will save your souls. That's very encouraging to me. How many times do we find ourselves in the midst of what feels like great endurance? Right? We've been called to a task in our family, something with our children, something in our workplace, something in our community, and we, and we, and we just say, golly, it's getting hard to endure. This is a really tough thing to endure. Right, This business endeavor, this thing, something that we're doing that we believe we're supposed to step out there and do, and it's getting really tough. Being a school teacher, being an administrator, being a grandparent, taking care of kids, by your endurance, you will save your lives. If it's true in that sense, when the gospel is on the line, I have to believe it's also true when God's purposes are on the line, when God's vision, the things that God loves, when life is on the line by your endurance, you will save your lives. I love the story about the 23rd Company, the United States Naval Academy. I love it because it reminds me that I have been given multiple second chances. I used to say God was a God of second chances, but the number's too high now. Uh, multiple second chances. And that's why I love that story. It reminds me that the story of Christianity is one of multiple opportunities to wake up. It's like I started to say not every Sunday is a wake-up call, you know, but every, we just every once in a while we get the wake-up call. But I'm beginning to wonder maybe every Sunday is a wake-up call. <laughs> just like every Sunday is a little Easter where we celebrate the resurrection and we never know quite what God is going to do, maybe every single Sunday is a wake-up call. That's why I love this God. That's why I love this story. Because when we think he's asleep, when we think God is slow, when we think God doesn't notice the stuff that we notice that burns inside of us, 
he speaks up and says, be patient. By your endurance, you will save your lives. I promise, I promise, I promise, I've not forgotten about you. Peter says it this way, and, you know, Peter was there to hear the speech. And listen to how Peter reframes it years later when he's writing to his churches who are being persecuted, who are doing the stuff. Here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness. But God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading the lives of holiness and godliness? You hear the same thing come back? If this is all going to shake out this way and God's not slow in keeping his promise, the question for us is what sort of people will we be while we endure? What is the quality of our personhood in the presence of God? What will we do with our second chances? What will we do with our wake-up calls? Who will we be when the light shines on us? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.